Welcome to Season 10 of the Sustainable Asia podcast. Will China save Antarctica's ocean? This is a special season where we've asked Jennifer Turner, director of the China Environment Forum for the Woodrow Wilson Center, to chat with four Chinese experts about why creating more marine protected areas in the Southern Ocean surrounding Antarctica is good for the planet and also good for China. Jennifer introduced us to these Chinese experts through a webinar she hosted on the subject, China's role in saving the wild Southern Ocean. Check it out on the China Environment Forum website. We'll put a link to it on the show notes. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Turner, and I'm very excited to be hosting another podcast here today focused on marine issues in Antarctica, in part because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I mean, who didn't watching Jacques Cousteau on TV? So that's probably why I've been really excited to meet with these four Chinese marine experts at my meeting and here on the podcast. Now, in the podcast, we are diving again into the issue Will China be a global marine conservation leader by approving new marine protected areas in Antarctica? In the last episode, I spoke with Dr. Binbin Li of Duke Kunshan University about China's growing awareness of the importance of protecting our oceans for the sake of future generations. And Dr. Julia Shui of Zhao Tong University in Shanghai told me that in 2010, China alongside other countries, agreed to protect 10% of the world's coastal and marine areas by the end of this year. She also said that China was committed to setting aside 5% of its own territorial waters under its National Ocean Development Plan. But will China step up to its responsibility and commitments to ocean conservation by also safeguarding the pristine Antarctic Southern Ocean? Will it harmonize its fishing interests with protecting the marine species in Antarctica for future generations? That's what we want to talk about in this episode. And to do that, let's first take a deeper look at the history of China's activities in Antarctica's surrounding waters. For that, I think it's best to turn to a colleague, Dr. Liu Nengye, who I consider a kind of Renaissance man when it comes to marine issues. And he's been researching China's polar and marine conservation policies for more than a decade. I'm an associate professor at Macquarie Law School, Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. So, Dr. Leo, why did you start working on Antarctica? It's kind of a genuine interest. And, you know, the polar regions, the Arctic and Antarctica, although they are very remote, they are actually kind of one of the most sensitive part of the world against the climate change. And we're already seeing the impacts of climate change in the southern polar region. Antarctica temperatures rose above 20 degrees Celsius for the first time on record this year, putting further pressure on this fragile ecosystem as ice melts and species lose their habitat. Luckily, marine life in Antarctica has been protected since 1982 through an agreement called the Convention on the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources, or CAMLR. Although actively fishing in the southern ocean of Antarctica China didn't officially join Kamler until 2007. China is a latecomer. When China became a member of Kamala, they had four vessels that uh, were listed on the IOU, the illegal, unregulated, and unreported fishing list uh, of the Kamala. 
So no country, especially countries like China, which is a very important distant water fishing country, no countries want to be listed on any regional fisheries organization's IOU list because that's a shape, really a losing face. China's distant water fishing accounted for around 9% of the country's total marine catch from 2007 to 2014, some of which, sadly, was illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, the IUU Dr. Liu just referred to, in the Southern Ocean. In order to fish in the Southern Ocean, in Kamala waters, countries must become a member of that organization. So this is required in the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, which China has ratified as a contracting party. So the reason for China to join Kamala is driven by a motivation of start fishing in the Southern Ocean, of course, legally. But Kamler is an organization established to oversee the conservation of marine resources in Antarctica. So fishing is allowed under the supervision of Kamler in the Southern Ocean around Antarctica, but only so long as it doesn't have long-term impacts on the ecosystem. Kamala is a conservation body, mainly for the protection of a marine ecosystem in the Southern Ocean, and also at the same time allows some fisheries for, for countries like China. And China is not alone, but China is now probably the most vocal country to speak it out. They believe uh, Kamala is a regional organization that manage the fisheries in the Southern Ocean. So there remains a pull and tug in China's relationship with Kamler, but participation in Kamler also give China an opportunity to embrace international norms and rules on sustainable fisheries through their involvement in scientific research. Kamala is a, actually a very much a pioneering organization in marine conservation. In the remote part of the world, like Southern Ocean, where Kamala managed, there are supposed to be less human activities involved and less human interests involved. So it is supposed to be easier to establish large MPAs without the kind of the involvement or heavy influence of the politics. One of the key tools of sustainable fisheries is marine protected areas, or MPAs. MPAs are used to limit fishing in certain parts of the ocean in order to preserve fish spawning and top predator feeding grounds. This safeguards the marine ecosystem, both in the designated protected area and further afield. In 2011, Luckily, without too much politics, Kamler members, including China, agreed to create a network of new larger MPAs in the waters surrounding Antarctica. So this is a general conservation measure. So it doesn't really touch any specific part uh, of, the, of the Southern Ocean. It really just provides a legal basis that uh, countries within uh, Kamala, they agree to discuss and further establish uh, MPAs in the future. This new conservation measure paved the way for the historic decision by Kamler nations, including China, to approve in 2016 the Ross Sea Region MPA. Now, the largest marine protected area in the world, the Ross Sea MPA covers 2 million square kilometers, about the size of Mexico. This region supports remarkable biodiversity, including 40 species of starfish and sea urchins. I want to see them because they are found nowhere else on Earth. It also hosts minke whales and a distinct orca or killer whale that only feeds on native Antarctic toothfish. But the Ross Sea MPA doesn't stop all fishing in the area. 
70% of the MPA is no take, which means no commercial fishing is allowed. And then there are also the Creo uh, fishing zone and research fishing zone, which would allow commercial fishing at some point. So at the beginning, it's uh, research fishing, and then it could lean towards uh, exploratory fisheries and then finally commercial fisheries. So the idea is to use research and monitoring of the Ross Sea MPA to understand how closing fishing areas is impacting populations of fished species and the broader marine ecosystem, something the Science Committee of Kamler, of which China is a part, will be following closely. We'll talk more on that later in the episode. With the establishment of the Ross Sea Region MPA, Kamler took an important step toward creating a network of large-scale MPAs, just like they agreed to under the conservation measure back in 2011. The next steps toward reaching that conservation goal includes designating the proposed Weddell Sea, East Antarctic, and Antarctic Peninsula MPAs. These three MPAs are all up for approval later this year during the October Kamler meetings. To learn more about why these proposed MPAs should be approved by China and Kamler, I checked in with another colleague, Julian Chun, who runs the Ocean Program for the Green Innovation Hub, an environmental NGO based in Beijing. Now, I have to tell you that when Julian gave a talk for me in the summer on Zoom, his virtual backdrop was the deck of a Chinese icebreaker in Antarctica. You see that when he was a kid, he loved going to the ocean, and as a boy, he was also fascinated by ships. Didn't matter if they were Navy, fishing ships, even the fictional Star Trek Enterprise. But his destiny was set on his first trip to Antarctica. It is special to me because I, I grew up in Shanghai. It's a big city. There's not so much wilderness here. And I don't have this kind of connection to the nature until I went to Antarctica. Because in Antarctica, animals and humans are not afraid of each other. When we observed the whales and the whales were surfacing to see us. I, I went whale watching whenever I can afterwards, but there's nothing compared to Antarctica. Back then, Julian was working on climate change and had just attended the UN climate change meetings in Copenhagen. His trip to Antarctica helped him combine his love for the oceans with his background in climate change. For him, creating no-take zones or areas where no fishing is allowed is a win-win scenario in the Southern Ocean. There are people saying that MPAs does not reduce greenhouse gas or prevent the changes relating to climate change, such as warming and uh, acidification. But uh, if you remove a stressor such as fishing, the ecosystem would get more resilient in confronting other problems. But Antarctic MPAs would do even more to help fight climate change. Krill, found in huge swarms throughout the Southern Ocean, are very good at removing carbon from the atmosphere. This is because krill swarms feed on carbon-capturing algae near the surface of the water, then swim to lower depths, dropping their carbon-filled waste in the water at the bottom of the ocean. Krill swarms can number in the trillions of individuals, and the carbon they store in the deep ocean every year equals the emissions of 35 million cars. During the last year, China launched Shenlan, the largest krill fishing vessel ever built, This 120-meter vessel with state-of-the-art freezing technology will serve China and export markets. But can China's increasing desire to fish Antarctic krill be done sustainably without impacting the ecosystem? The only way to answer this question 
is by monitoring krill and the species that rely on them, both in the MPAs and in other krill fishing grounds. But they have to agree to a research and monitoring plan first. Then that plan is supposed to coordinate the scientific effort from different countries. A research monitoring plan allows scientists to use the natural laboratory of the MPA to study the impacts of climate change without any other threats, like fishing on the ecosystem. China is a latecomer in Antarctic marine research. It will take some time before China to catch up. In the last meeting, they submitted a paper that say, saying that they will carry out more science. That did show China's willingness to contribute science to the developing and the research and the monitoring of MPAs in Antarctica. All members of CAMLER have the opportunity to submit any research to the CAMLER Scientific Committee. In turn, the Commission of CAMLER is obligated to take advice of the Scientific Committee, including recommendations for setting fishing limits or establishing large marine protected areas. The problem for researching Antarctica is the lack of ship time in those regions. There are only very few vessels goes to Antarctica, and even less will have the luxury of time to actually do research. To address this lack of research vessels, last year China sent a second icebreaker, Shuilong 2, or Snow Dragon 2, to the Southern Ocean. With a new icebreaker, they can contribute more ship time that dedicates to ecological surveys. That will be uh, very helpful. There is a website called polarscanner.org. From that website, you can see the trace of the Chinese icebreakers. You can see in the last Antarctic expedition, the Shuilong 2 did some survey because you can see the historical movement of the ship. China has submitted five papers to Kamler, all suggesting improvements to research and monitoring plans for existing and proposed Kamler MPAs. This compares to some other countries that often submit more than five papers in a single year. But China is positioned to become a more active scientific contributor with the new icebreaker Shuilong 2 and a new research station on Antarctica near the Ross Sea MPA. I think the Chinese station will contribute to both research and monitoring. Hopefully, China's involvement with Kamler provides an opportunity for their scientists to further develop research and monitoring capabilities for sustainable fishing and marine conservation management. Some of this could also be transferred back to China and used to improve the protection of their own marine protected areas. Of course, this all leads us back to our original question at the beginning of this episode. Will China take this opportunity to adopt a leadership role in global marine conservation? Clearly, the investment in the new icebreaker and more focus on contributing to scientific research in Kamler is a step forward in that direction. The next mark is the approval of the proposed three marine protected areas during the Kamler October meetings. We are now facing a world with significantly declining marine ecosystem and fish stocks. Antarctic waters is probably the last frontiers. Some countries have fishing interests, but sustainable fisheries should be of any country's interest, including China. Because without sustainable fisheries, there won't be any fish or krill for anyone to catch anymore. That's why, in the long run, I'm overall uh, optimistic about China's support of establishing Southern Ocean MPAs. 
And Julian also believes that approving the MPAs is important to demonstrate China's commitment under the UN Convention on Biodiversity that we mentioned in episode one. In fact, China is going to host the coming conference of parties of the Convention for Biodiversity. Agreeing to MPA in Antarctica also can demonstrate their leadership in biodiversity conservation. And it turns out there is a large global coalition of countries calling to increase the 2020 goal of protecting 10% of the ocean up to 30% protection by 2030. Those discussions will be taking place at the upcoming Biodiversity Convention to be hosted in China. The decision to support the marine protected areas in Antarctica is one that will impact all future generations. When I was a kid, I was expecting to see a white dolphin from the Yangtze River because it was famous, it was on TV. So I expect to see it in a zoo or somewhere. About the year 2000, they declared extinction. I can never see, see that animal again. It's just gone. I want to Antarctica to remain the same as I have visited them when my daughter gets to visit it. So I think that's important to me because it's like you have some expectation when you were young and uh, it's a very sad thing if you miss that. This episode of Season 10, Will China Save Antarctica's Ocean? is supported by the Pew Charitable Trusts and is produced in partnership with China Dialogue. It's hosted by Jennifer Turner, director of the China Environment Forum for the Woodrow Wilson Center. It was produced by Sustainable Asia, including me, Marcy Trent Long, and associate producer Shermaine Lee. Thanks to our guests, Julian Chen and Dr. Liu Nangye. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. We've also produced this series in Mandarin with hosts Bonnie Yao and Wu Yufei, and we'll be putting those episodes on our Sustainable Asia Mandarin podcast, which is called Ke Chi Shu Ya Zhou. You can also find it on the Mandarin part of the China Dialogue Ocean website. After all, we are trying to use the voices of Asia to bring environmental reporting and research to global audiences. 